Well, if you would this morning, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. As you turn there, I'm sure that you will remember in the late 90s and early 2000s, the heightened awareness of missing and exploited children. I remember shows like America's Most Wanted with John Walsh, which if you know, John Walsh was actually uh, a father who sadly uh, saw his child kidnapped and and murdered, and that uh, fueled a passion for him to seek the missing and exploited children of the United States. And uh, it was a really well-known show. It was very popular in that time. And their goal, as well as uh, systems that were later developed, like the Amber Alert System, all aided in the search and rescue of many children and that went missing or were abducted. Um, you might also remember in 2002, uh, specifically the 14-year-old Mormon girl named Elizabeth Smart that was uh, abducted from her home at night while she was sleeping. And for nine grueling and disturbing months of captivity, this poor girl um, was finally rescued uh, by a police officer who noticed her and her captors were arrested. Um, But throughout those nine disturbing months, her family and authorities in the city of Utah or the the state of Utah and um, even the nation were searching desperately for this young girl. And I I do remember that story quite well. And I'm sure that we can all remember um, as, as parents, those those tragic and fearful moments when you're in the grocery store or you're at the department store and you turn around and your children are missing and just fear from the head of your top of your head to the bottom of your feet strikes your body. Um, the stories like Elizabeth Smart missing play through our minds as the worst nightmares possible. And uh, we know that as parents and grandparents, we would stop at nothing to exhaust all efforts to find our children if they were lost. And interestingly, the Bible reveals this as a theme of God's love for his people. Not necessarily missing children, although you could see that bound up in the story that we looked at not too many months ago in Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through 7. I'll read this to you. Jesus tells a parable What man of you being uh, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after that which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And so the theme of redemption and the beauty of the gospel is that our heavenly father or our great shepherd has set out to rescue his children or his sheep from their abductors, which are sin and Satan, to bring us back to himself. Our story today in Luke chapter 19 is a an example, a historical and real example of such a case. As we look at the great and famous and simplistic and beautiful story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Let me read this passage to us this morning. He, meaning Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. And when he saw it, he would, and when they saw it, they, they all grumbled, saying, He has gone into the guest of a man who is a sinner. 
And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And I have to, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It would be best in our church culture today, without fear of hurting someone's feelings, if we would describe the people of this world as lost. That's the way that God looks at us before we come to Christ. That's the way that he has described the world as people who are lost in the darkness of this world and they need the light of Jesus Christ. And so in this simple and yet profound passage this morning, we're going to look at one, the seeking by God and the saving by God of lost sinners. First of all, the seeking. We'll see through this passage this morning first that the seeking by God of lost sinners is based on his unconditional grace. Jesus is entering what we suppose is the new Jericho, because if you'll remember in Luke chapter 18, he is passing through, interacting with blind Bartimaeus. And we described last week for us how um, the other gospels, the synoptic gospels, describe Jesus as leaving Jericho. And yet here in Luke chapter 18, verse 35, it says Jesus drew near to Jericho. We describe that as uh, really a historical condition or an issue, which is Jesus was leaving the old Jericho, the Old Testament Jericho, and traveling into the new Jericho, which Herod had built, Herod the Great. And as he was entering in this new Jericho, he encountered a blind man outside, and now he's in the new Jericho, and he enters and, and finds Zacchaeus. And the Bible tells us that Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. Now, we've studied passages about tax collectors, and we understand that these tax collectors are the, re uh, the rejects and the outcasts of their society. They had... Uh, Actually, most of these Jewish men, like uh, Levi or Matthew and, and also Zacchaeus, they were men that had uh, propositioned themselves to the Roman government. They actually would go and pay a fee, auction themselves off to be tax collectors. So they would pay money to the Roman government, and thus the Roman government would hire them based upon the amount that they were given. And they would hire them to then collect, collect taxes in uh, cities such as Jericho where there were trade routes that people would pass through with merchandise. And so it was a very lucrative business. And once the uh, tax collectors or publicans, as you might see in your, your text, once they were hired, they were in charge of collecting a certain tax from those merchants and they would then increase that number to pay themselves. So they would merely just inflate the amount of tax that was uh, re received or, or required from people and thus from that you can imagine there was great exploitation, great, great extortion from these people because they could really raise the price to whatever they wanted. And so we're told two things about Zacchaeus. Number one, we're told that he is the chief tax collector. In other words, uh, Zacchaeus was the El Presidente of the tax collecting business of Jericho. He was the chief of publicans. He was the one who was responsible, and thus in this responsible um, profession of his as, a, as the chief tax collector, you can imagine he made uh, a quite a bit uh, more income than the typical tax collector, thus making him rich. Now for the Jewish people, that would mean that he was probably doubly hated than the tax collectors themselves. As we see extortion in our world today, as we see people taking advantage of us, 
we might look down upon those that may take advantage of us. And of course, we would look down upon those who lead those who take advantage of us. I was trying to think of a a good contemporary example today that of someone that their job garners hate and, and anger. And in the minds of the Jewish people, it was a righteous anger because these were cheats, right? The best I could think of is doctors and nurses in the abortion industry, how much they anger us. And we look at that as righteous anger because uh, we, we hate the, 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 the murder and the, and the killing of innocent children. But understand that this hate and this anger from the Jewish people, it flowed out of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It was the Pharisees who took passages like Psalm 1, where it talks about that we should separate from the exploitation of wicked people. And in understanding that, in thinking about how we shouldn't follow wicked people, we should not be led by wicked people, the Pharisees took a, a tradition of teaching of their own and they said that they should hate these people. And so the, imagine a, 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 a Jewish service where Pharisees were teaching that they should go out into, their, into the world and, and if they saw uh, tax collectors or the chief tax collector, that they should be hated because of what they were doing because they were cheats and they were scoundrels, they were con men that were ripping off the Jewish people. And so it was giving the Jewish people license to hate. And so Jesus is coming into town. And what is Jesus doing? He's showing unconditional grace and love to those who are hated. He's showing us in this story today that God seeks the outcast to save them, not by their condition of worthiness, but by his glorious purpose of mercy and grace. Zacchaeus no more deserved to be saved than Osama bin Laden or any of us here today. But the truth of the gospel is, is that God comes and he sends his son into this world to show mercy upon those who are undeserving of his mercy. Romans chapter 5, God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. And so as this chief tax collector and this rich man shows us, Jesus didn't, didn't, you know, didn't roam into town looking for people that qualified, that were going to promote themselves as worthy people. Jesus had a divine appointment with Zacchaeus as much as he did with the blind beggar Bartimaeus to save an outcast and an unworthy sinner for his glory. And so as we consider that this morning, consider two things. Number one, as you think about the scope of your life and the great wicked sin by which you committed, please don't put yourself on any greater level or plane than any other person when it comes to the grace of God that's been extended to you. You are equally unworthy, equally undeserving. Your depravity was equally the same in the sense that you have the same sinful nature as every human being. Maybe you didn't come to a level of practicality of that sinful nature as some others in this world. But regardless, please don't allow the grace of God to lead into the to lead to the pride in the human heart by which we think that we are worthy of what God declares us to be unworthy. The gospel is the free gift 
gift of grace to us. And for that, we are thankful because it is unconditional grace. And in the same way, let us be reminded in considering the unconditional grace that God gives us, let this be a rally cry for his people who are called to love other people with similar unconditional grace. Taking the gospel to a dying world who does not appear to deserve it. Because we also were outcasts and sinners like they were. We did not understand. We did not seek after God. And yet God chose to call us to the gospel for his purposes. And how does he do that? He does that through his sovereign providences. You know, what we notice about Zacchaeus in chapter three or chapter 19, verses 3 and 4, is, is that Zacchaeus, who would have been a very prestigious man in the city of Jericho, which, by the way, if you look at the geography of Jericho, Jer- Jericho was like an oasis in that land. They were able to grow basalm trees and, and different, uh, there was vegetation there that, that because of the geography that didn't seem to really fit in that culture in that in that world but the but they were they were able to uh to to have a, a lot of beauty in Jericho in the midst of a dry and arid land because of its geography and so because of the ways that they were able to grow crops and grow agriculture there it was obviously a very rich city there was a lot of wealthy people that lived there and as those wealthy people lived there and they traded there, they obviously allowed tax collectors to become very rich and wealthy. And in this prestigious experience of Zacchaeus encountering Jesus, he acts very odd. Notice two things that Zacchaeus does that rich people don't do. Number one, a rich person would not be considered someone that would be running anywhere. And yet it says in verse 3 that when, when Zacchaeus is seeking to see who Jesus was on the count of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a tree. Rich people don't really run anywhere. They don't need to. Number two is that you don't really typically see rich people climbing trees, right? It doesn't seem to be the attitude or actions of a man of great prestige, although an outcast of the Jewish people, he was a well-known person, and he was a person of great authority in that city. And there he is, climbing trees, running around so he can see Jesus. I would say that that is out of character. And the reason I say that is because I think that this out-of-character action of Zacchaeus is evidence of God doing a work in him already. See, the providences of God, which, by the way, we would define as God working and moving throughout all of his creation, moving us toward fulfilling his purposes. So God can control the rain, the storms, the birds, the trees, the the movement of the earth. He can control every single event and action and creature throughout all of history and everything that he's made so that his purposes will be fulfilled. And I think here what we're seeing is God moving Zacchaeus in such a way through his providence that while it appears that Zacchaeus is seeking out Jesus, it's actually Jesus seeking out Zacchaeus. And that's what the providence of God does. You and I can attest to the way by which God brought us to faith in Christ. And many of us have very unique, well, we all have unique stories, but some very odd and sometimes unexplainable events that happened in such a way that we came to know Christ. Where God was directing us by his providence, directing events and situations so that we would be exactly where he wanted us to be, when he wanted us to be, and he brought to us the people that he ordained and planned to share the gospel with us so that we could know Christ. 
I told you my salvation story. Let me tell you my father's. My dad grew up in the Catholic church. He was Italian, so that's just what you did. It was a mark against Italian people one day when he became a believer and he left the Catholic church. It was almost like he stopped being Italian. My, my father came to know Christ and he left the Catholic church because many, many years ago, he decided to date this young girl from Bartlett High School, my mother. And with the influence of the gospel from my great-great-grandmother into her life, she had been going to a church on Covington Pike, Covington Pike Baptist Church, I think is what it was called. And they had gone to a gospel singing. And if you don't know what that is, young people, that's just a bunch of people coming together and, and hearing gospel music. Music about Jesus. Sometimes it would be a group of people up on the stage just singing praises about Jesus and his saving power. And so my mother, who grew up in a horrible home but had a, a, a great influence of, of Christianity and spirituality from, from her aunt and from my great-great-grandmother, she was involved in church. She took my dad to this gospel singing and he heard the gospel at the end of that service. Well, at the same time, my dad was working at a furniture store and he was helping move furniture and deliver furniture. And it were, there were three or four men at that furniture store that were also at the same time sharing the gospel with my Catholic father. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, my dad says that he, he can attest that he was driving down the street one day and, and it was like the Holy Spirit was just weighing down upon him the truth of the gospel that he had grown up in a world never hearing. He had never heard about this under, the, the, the depth of his sin and the free grace of Jesus Christ. My dad says he turns his car around from where he was going and he goes to the pastor's house of that church at Covington Pike Baptist Church and there in the, the living room of his, of his home he prays to receive Christ. Now I believe that while some of us may grow up in a, a, a church Christian family and maybe we don't have these stories in, in similar fashion, we can all attest that God directs by his providence all of us Maybe through different situations, we all end up at the same place of salvation through Christ alone, by faith alone, through the providences of God and all his creation. And this is exactly what he's doing with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus. Zacchaeus decided to act out of character running and finding a way to climb up into a tree just so he could see who Jesus was. You could say that even the sense of Zacchaeus being such an outcast in his social construct could even been a part of leading to his salvation because of the rejection that he had felt for so long. But the testimony of God's power in the life of every believer proves that God in his wisdom directs us by his providence, which also is evidence that we who seek out God to be saved, we are seeking out God to be saved because God first sought us. That's the proper order which I think we see in verse 5. Verse 5 is the, the climax. Verse 10 is the summary. Verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. See, the seeking of God, of human sinners, 
is not only because of his unconditional grace, and it's not only through his sovereign providence, but it is because sinners that he chooses to save have been known by God before the foundation of the world. Jesus calls him by name. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. He calls him by name. Some critics will say that Zacchaeus is called by name because he was a famous and well-known person of Jericho. Could be true. If you take that, if you if we end the story with that verse, I'm okay with accepting that. Because Zacchaeus was well-known. But what we see is not just a physical recognition of who Zacchaeus was. We see a spiritual and intimate connection with Zacchaeus in drawing him not to just a relationship of recognition, but a relationship of salvation. Thus, I see more than just a recognition of a a well-known tax collector, but an intimate connection with Zacchaeus because it was Jesus' purpose to come through Jericho and save Zacchaeus from his sins. Notice, he calls Zacchaeus by name. He does not ask Zacchaeus, listen, do you have any availability in your home tonight? No. In the authority and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. In the Greek, That word or phrase, I must, is the divine necessity that teaches us that it was the purpose of God before the foundation of the world that on that day, Jesus must go through Jericho to see and meet and save Zacchaeus. And I think it was because God foreknew him before the foundation of the world. that he calls us by name, that he knows us because he formed us in our mother's womb. He saves us because he chose us to to be saved, not because we deserve it, but because he, he is a loving and merciful and gracious God that doesn't need to save anyone. No one deserves salvation. We're all destined for hell in the punishment of our sin, and yet he snatches some from the pathway of hell for his own glory to magnify his merciful and gracious and faithful name. And I know that this is difficult for some people to see in Scripture, so let me point you to, I think, one of the best passages, Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. Paul tells the Romans, for those whom, speaking of people, he foreknew, not meaning Jesus looks down the corridor of time and, and, and sees people that are going to choose him, foreknowing is intimacy. So it's for those whom he chose to foreknow, he predestines to become, to be conformed to the image of his son. So therefore, God, choosing to save some throughout human history when he didn't have to save anybody, Zacchaeus being one, was predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And of course, that meaning is that is the, that Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, the Bible says, he called, and those he called, he justified. So here in this passage in Luke chapter 19, we are seeing what we call the effectual call of Zacchaeus. He is being called to salvation. It's a mysterious call, but it's the same call that we've all received when we hear and believe in Jesus Christ and we, by faith, are saved. And in that calling, we're justified. And in that justification, one day we will be glorified. 
And so Jesus is telling Zacchaeus, I, I need to come to your house because it was ordained for me to come to your house. And how does Zacchaeus respond? Well, it's really not a good day, Jesus. No, because the power of the drawing of the Spirit of God unto salvation, what, is pe- what do people do? They come. When God calls us, we come. When God calls us by name, we come. Because we belong to him already. Another passage that's helpful, John chapter 10 In the same imagery of the lost sheep, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and he says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. So in thinking about the seeking of man, let me make one declarative statement. And that is this, that while a man or a woman appear to be seeking after God, it is actually man seeking after God as a fruit of God first seeking after man. Man seeks after God only when God first seeks after that man. With a hearty amen. Jesus tells the disciples the same thing. John chapter 15, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. That is the seeking of God of lost sinners. But he does not just seek us, he saves us. And so through 6 through 10, we see that Zacchaeus, he hurries down And he receives Jesus joyfully. He hurries down, not begrudgingly, but the invitation that did not exist, it was a command to follow him. It was a command to receive him. And the response is a joyful reception. That as as he is invited into his home, expressing the greatest of intimacy, Zacchaeus is excited. Now, of course, as God works in the lives of people, we immediately see opposition, right? Zacchaeus is filled with joy and anticipation and what, and, and what God is doing. And as always, when God's power is on display, Satan is at work trying to distract others from seeing that powerful manifestation. And no doubt in verse 7, as the crowd saw this, probably intermingled in that crowd were religious leaders, but at the very least, the influence of those religious leaders who grumbled and said, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. How dare them? How dare he do such a thing? But can we say this morning that opposition toward salvation opposition toward the gospel is actually the evidence of true work and power of God on display? Can we say that? That as we see God working in the church and we see opposition to that work, it is just further evidence that God's been at work because Satan wants to attack those things. The enemy wants to distract from us giving God the glory and the power and the, and, and, and the worship that he deserves because of his great work. That's exactly what happens in the Old Testament when Moses comes to Egypt with Pharaoh. Every powerfully manif- uh, manifested uh, thing that, he, that Moses accomplishes in front of Pharaoh Satan and the evil of this world tries to mimic, tries to distract, tries to take away from what God has done. And every time God's power is on greater display than anything that these evil magicians could accomplish. 
And so no church that as we are being faithful to the gospel, as we are being faithful to what God has called us to as a church by sharing the gospel with people in our homes, by sharing with the gospel with people in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, not only should we expect opposition, but we are told to rejoice in it. Why? Because it is an evidence that we are doing and being faithful to what God's called us to do. But in that is just a small sentence in this story. Because that, that one instance of opposition is swallowed up by the glory and the majesty of what God is doing in the life of Zacchaeus. We see this, uh, this intimacy play in part with the representation of Jesus coming into the home of Zacchaeus for a meal to lodge there. We know that that is reflective of the fellowship that we have with God throughout all of Old Testament and New Testament scripture. When people enjoy a meal together, it is because they are sharing the most intimate of fellowship with one another as brothers and sisters. And so there, Jesus is sitting at a table, much like he sits at the table with his disciples before his death on the cross, and he's sharing a meal together. Just as the Israelites of the Old Testament sat down at the Passover meal, and what did they do? All the elements of the Passover meal that they shared together, that they passed around the table, not only represented the glory of God and the majesty of his power and his might, but that they were together sharing in and worshiping that one true God. And there Jesus is coming into the home of Zacchaeus, representing the intimacy that he has with this man who I believe is, has uh, put his faith in Christ. I think the receiving of Jesus and the uh, joyful expression of Zacchaeus is proof that there was faith in Zacchaeus' heart to believe in Jesus. And if that's not enough, as we always see through Scripture, it's not just a demonstration of faith, it's a demonstration of repentance. There in verse 8, Zacchaeus stands before the Lord and says a very important word. He says, behold, Lord. He says, look, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus is looking back to the Old Testament, thinking of the, the, the commands in Exodus 22 and 1 Samuel 12, of the fourfold restitution of a person's goods that were, that were taken from them. And clearly Zacchaeus is thinking of this command as he's in the presence of Christ and his wicked ways are being exposed in this presence of Christ. And all he can do because of his new faith in Christ is to repent. I mean, this is what happens to a person of faith in Christ is that they believe in Jesus and because of his perfection and the light of the gospel, it exposes our wickedness and our sin so that as our time of confession each week, we are reminded of the word of God that calls us to confess our sins to him. It's an act of repentance. But know and understand that this act of Zacchaeus this act of repentance involves both, both the resisting and the replacing of our sin. The resisting and replacing of our sin is a proper repentance. Zacchaeus does not just confess to the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry for stealing people's money. I won't do it again. No, repentance comes at a cost because our repentance comes at a cost. Instead, he is willing not only to cease from stealing, he's willing to restore the money that was taken in a sacrificial and exponential way. 
He says, look, I'm going to, Lord, I give the the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, which I think is a confession, I restore it fourfold. So he's willing not only to cease from stealing, he's willing to restore the money that was taken. And this is an evidence of a, a, a powerful working in Zacchaeus on that day. And it reminds us as the church today that, that we are called to live out daily lives of repentance, not to earn the salvation of, of Christ, but to understand the salvation of Christ, which he earned for us and thus respond in faith and repentance. Not only faith and repentance at our salvation, but faith and repentance day by day because of our salvation. And if you are living lives of repentance, then you are not only resisting the temptation to sin, turning away from those sinful behaviors, but you are replacing that sin with sin of right or with acts of righteousness. Ephesians chapter 4. Paul tells the Ephesians to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in your spirit of your mind and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off and put on are present tense verbs. Continually put off, continually put on. Do this in an act day by day of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because you belong to him. And so the saving of God, of lost sinners, always brings about opposition. It requires faith and repentance. And lastly, it invites us to belonging with Christ in salvation. Jesus concludes with a very unique statement in verse 9. He says, today, in affirmation, salvation has come to this house. doesn't say salvation will come. It's a timeless statement. Salvation has come to this house. Since he is also, he says, a son of Abraham. For the, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That summary statement in verse 10. But verse 9 is interesting. It's a statement of declaration stating for us that this was not just a normal interaction with Zacchaeus and Jesus where they became friends and they got to talk a little bit about about righteous things. No, that this was a salvific experience between Jesus, the eternal Son of God, and a lost, unworthy sinner who came to salvation that day. And in that salvation comes true belonging. Jesus calls Zacchaeus that day a son of Abraham. Now Jesus could mean, well, Zacchaeus is a Jew. And so let's just make everybody know that he's a Jew. He's a son of Abraham. But to make that statement seems redundant since we know that Zacchaeus is a Jew. We know that he's a a chief tax collector. We understand his understanding of the Old Testament because he's referred back to the fourfold restitution. So for Jesus to merely acknowledge that, uh, that Zacchaeus is a Jew by cultural birthright doesn't make much sense. It makes more sense for Jesus to be saying, today salvation has come to Zacchaeus and his home. And by the way, this makes him a true son of Abraham. Because as we in the church know, those who come by faith are sons of Abraham. That we belong to Jesus, who is the true Israel. We know that the nation of Israel did not demonstrate a consistent faith in God's promises and his words. 
but we know that Jesus did, obeyed perfectly in a covenant with God so that when, when Jesus came, he came as the true Israel who would perfectly fulfill the law on, on the behalf of his people. Therefore, as you have faith in Jesus, like Zacchaeus, then you belong to Israel because Jesus is the true Israel and you belong to him. And Paul makes this crystal clear in Galatians 3. Know then, now he's speaking to Gentiles, which just so happens we're Gentiles. Know then that this is the, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So what this means to you and me is that because of our faith in Jesus and not because we were born into a Jewish family are we sons and daughters of Abraham being people who are in Christ, the true Israel. And I think this means a lot for Zacchaeus because by culture, by, by cultural status, he was a Jew, but what was he among the Jews? He was rejected by the Jews. He was hated by those people. And it just so happens that he climbs up into the sycamore tree by God's providence and he sees Jesus and Jesus uh, commands him to open his home with hospitality. And he comes into the home of Zacchaeus and saves Zacchaeus and says, oh, by the way, you have a new belonging to the true Israel to the true family of faith, which is in Jesus Christ. And we as the church have a fuller understanding of that truth today than maybe Zacchaeus had that day, but nonetheless, it must have been encouraging to him to be called the son of Abraham because it meant belonging. It meant acceptance. And so the church today, we can say with confidence, is the gathering of the people of God across the world who belong to Christ and all with faith in Christ are true sons of Abraham. We're under one Lord, one spirit, one baptism, serving the living God and carrying out his mission on the earth until Jesus returns. And because of this belonging, because of this intimacy with Jesus, let me encourage you this week to lean heavily upon Christ and those whom he has given you in that relationship, in that belonging, in that family of faith. Understand that the body of Christ is your local refuge because we are all in Christ, our true refuge. Take your cares to the Lord and allow your brothers and sisters in Christ who also are allegiance, have allegiance to the Lord to help you carry the greatest burdens and hurts of your life. And as you rejoice, let your family of faith be there in full support, cheering you along. But by all means, do not resist, resist the temptation to go at this difficult journey alone. You were made to be in the community of God's people if you believe and trust in Jesus. And so Zacchaeus belonged to Christ. The summary statement in, in verse 10 sums up the whole passage. The Son of Man, the promised Messiah, came to seek and to save the lost. The human person in his own strength cannot seek God without first being sought out by him, nor can he save himself. God must save him. And in saving us, he invites us into a membership of a local body of believers, the church, so that we may be loved and cared for and have belonging among God's people.
And I cannot tell you how amazing this past week has been to represent that as your pastor. Stepping back away from the marriage of sweet Annie and Jonathan, I was able to be reminded greatly of our small little church seeing two of our children come together in the bonds of marriage. That's not going to happen a lot, people. Right? And to, to see that full expression of God's love flow out of you guys, to love them, to, to, to be reminded of the ways that you disciple them and care for them, to hear from Jonathan's mouth that the church of redemption is more like his family than his own family in many ways because of the investment that you put in those two proves and is evident that God is working among us. It's not just a marriage, people. It's not just an event to go to. It's a reflection of what God has done in this church body in the way that you love and cared for them this week. And so my heart is full because you care for them, you help them, you've prayed for them, and that is what the church does, and that's what it means to belong to a body of believers. And that is the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ that's evident in our lives of a God who saves lost sheep, lost children, as the one great shepherd, our great God, who seeks and saves the lost for his own glory. And for that, we give him praise.